Joanne comments about the many articles that have recently been brought to her attention about mindfulness. And what they're talking about, what a lot of the articles are talking about, is that uh, mindfulness has been kind of commercialized. Um, that now it's, I remember when I was working in the public schools, you couldn't talk about meditation because it was religion in schools. And so uh, now you have mindfulness in education, mindfulness in the workplace, mindfulness everywhere, which I certainly won't complain about. I think it's a, mindfulness is a wonderful thing. I'm an advocate. Um, but the difficulty happens, and I think I talked about this a little bit the time before last when I was here, that um, what we can do is simply uh, look at it as being techniques for calming ourselves down and not getting upset. And um, that's not really what the Buddha was teaching. Um, the Buddha was talking about transformation and healing and liberation. And that goes a little bit farther than simply calming down. Calming down is the very first step. That's shamatha, the stopping. So um, uh, that's one thing to be careful about. One of the places that uh, many of us get caught, and I talk to people all the time who are practice, practitioners, so I know it's not just me, but uh, most people get caught right at the beginning that when you first start practicing, we learn to uh, be aware of our breath. And we learn that our breath is connected with the autonomic nervous system. And that all I need to do is take a few conscious breaths and I can calm myself down. So if I find myself getting really angry or really upset or really sad or anything, I can just notice and breathe and bring myself back and calm myself down so I can respond a little bit more skillfully to life. Um, and that's the first step. But a lot of people stop there. That that's, I think, what the pitfall is that, that's been being brought up in a lot of these articles now, is that um, that's where people stop. And what I see that happens um, is that when we just stop there, we are sort of uh, hiding. We're using the practice as a way to hide. And we are oftentimes caught in repress repression. We repress feelings. It's not like the anger goes away or the sadness goes away. It's just that we have a way of calming ourselves so we don't react. And that's a good thing. I mean, when we react, we create more karma. So it helps not to react. But um, we need to go one step farther and embrace whatever the difficulty is, embrace the feeling, accept what is, and be able to do the transformation and healing so that we're... Um, uh, Actually, we don't have the same block of suffering in our consciousness as we did before. The other way, we just keep the same block of suffering there. We're just putting a lid on it over and over and over again. Um, that usually becomes obvious when the proverbial, you know what, hits the fan, and uh, we react badly. <laughs> when we finally reach our breaking point and we wind up reacting wildly to something. Um, then we know that probably there's a piece of this practice that we need to look at or uh, to deepen. So um, in our practice, what we know is that from eons, we're conditioned. We're conditioned. We have ancestral conditioning. Uh, we come in with. Uh, all of our ancestors are alive in every cell of our body and our DNA. And um, uh, we have uh, conditioning from the moment of birth. 
that every single thing that happens to us uh, leaves a mark in our consciousness. And we learn to react in certain ways, and we develop habits. It's called habit energy in Buddhism. And uh, this week I had uh, uh, lots of interesting experiences, but I had um, the theme that was running through things. People sometimes call, and I do a lot of mentoring of people, and uh, the calls that I was getting this week, uh, and oftentimes the calls will kind of uh, have a theme that runs through them. It's interesting. There's something going on in the universal consciousness, I think, or the collective. And uh, this week, what I was hearing a lot about were people that um, were caught in uh, really powerful habits of mind. One, uh, one woman um, had parents who really never uh, accepted her as she was. And she's been trying her whole life to uh, have them be the ideal parents that she wanted. And she's consistently disappointed. Um, so she was getting a four-day vacation, and she called them, and she said, uh, I'm, I'm off for four days. Why don't you come visit? And they said, no, we're not coming. The dog doesn't want to. <laughs> don't you love that? It reminded me of being three years old with an imaginary friend. I had a little imaginary friend that uh, I would use as my good excuse for not doing anything I didn't want to do. Julie doesn't like peas, you know, like that. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. So, no, the dog doesn't want to travel. And um, so she was crushed. She was totally crushed. They like the dog better than they like me. And this person's in her, probably in her late 40s. And that reaction wasn't from a 40-year-old. That reaction was from a little kid that had been badly hurt. And that's still alive in us unless we're aware of it. When we become aware of what we're carrying around, and then we can go back and spend some time healing the past in the present moment, uh, we don't react like that in the present moment anymore. And we don't try to get people to be somebody that they're not. We don't try to have... We try, our expectations can much more easily come into alignment with reality. And we can have reasonable expectations. Um, and realize that certain things we get from certain people and certain things we get from others and that we're not going to get blood from a rock. That that's probably not going to happen. And if it does, it's lovely. Thich Nhat Hanh gives a beautiful teaching about this with the paramitas. The paramitas are the perfections, the qualities we need to cultivate in order to get free. And one of the paramitas is patience. And he, he um, translates that as being... Um, uh, inclusiveness and when he talks about it being inclusiveness he said that means that uh, say there's a difficult person in your life you accept that person exactly as they are without any expectation that they will ever be any different that's a deep practice mm -hmm. and then he goes one step farther and says when you do that you, you create enough spaciousness so they can change if they want to when I heard that teaching, it was just like, boom, and I thought, wow, what would happen if I could do that for myself? What would happen if I could accept myself exactly as I am without any expectation that I was ever going to be any different than I am right now?
and to give somebody enough spaciousness that they can change if they want to. Because what happens when we don't accept somebody the way they are is they know it. That we're holding them in amber. I've decided who you are, I don't like it, and I want you to be different than that. And that's one of the worst things we can do to other people is to not accept who they are, especially to children. Children pick right up on that in a heartbeat. So um, here she is not accepting her parents. She's feeling rejected by her parents, but in fact she's not accepting them. And my guess is if she were able to practice that paramita, she'd probably have a lot better relationship with her parents because they wouldn't be feeling that pressure that we put pressure on people. And I had another phone call from a person who um, uh, grew up with two alcoholic parents. And uh, her father would uh, give all the indications of being reliable, responsible, dependable, make promises, and then not keep them, and constantly disappoint her. And then when she grew up, she has a brother that does exactly the same thing that uh, he uh, basically shut her out of his life for about 10 years, didn't tell her why, and uh, then after 10 years, um, reconciled, never talked about what had happened during the 10 years. We're just going to play for pretend that that never happened, and we'll just start right from here because we don't like to talk about anything that's messy. So um, for a couple of years, there was this reconciliation, and now he's withdrawn again. So there's this little dance. He's doing the same dance that the dad did. And it pushes all of her buttons. And she's absolutely devastated because it's happening again. And it's so horrible. And she just can't stand it. And the response she's having is not from a 40 or 50-year-old. It's from that kid that got hurt. So this is what we have to be aware of, is we've all been conditioned. We all have conditioning of different kinds. Not all of the stories are the same. All the stories are, are very different. Uh, but the fact is that we've all been conditioned. And when we can understand it, when we can stop, just be with ourselves and just observe what arises, when we can be more and more mindful, so in our relationships with other people, we can notice what is it that got triggered in me. Somebody pushes a button, and I'm furious. My job isn't to analyze the person and make up a story about their mother, to do whatever, to try to explain it all to myself. The the, my, my practice is to bring it back to myself, to look at what's going on with me. What is this really about? Understanding is the basis of love, and we first have to understand ourselves. We have to look at all the things that we're wanting in other people, we have to be aware of. What do we want? We want to be loved. We want to be understood. We don't love ourselves. We don't understand ourselves. But we want other people to do that anyway. So our job is to first be able to do it for ourselves. And uh, the more that we can stop and observe, Watch our, just become, and the thing that's happened for me in my practice is I get more and more curious the longer I practice. It's like, wow, where did that come from? Now I want to find out what's going on. We don't have to be, it doesn't have to be um, grim and a chore 
and I've got to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to sit here until I can excavate my store consciousness and transform every single thing that's in it. No, it's not like that. It's all held with nothing but love and compassion and gentleness and just uh, watching what arises, embracing. Remember when we did the Qigong and I said we're embracing it all. We accept it all. We're not trying to get rid of our anger. We're trying to understand it. We're not trying to get rid of sadness. We're trying to understand it. When we can understand, we can love ourselves. And then it's so much easier to love and understand everybody else. Because we all have the same same stuff going on. We all have the same mental formations. So the particular woman who had the uh, uh, recurrent theme of being abandoned by the people who were supposed to be uh, loving her, um, again, she was really hooked. She was hooked in a bunch of different places, but one of the places was that she was looking to, to somebody outside of herself for her happiness. I can't be happy unless this person does what I want. I can't be happy unless I get what I want from this person outside of myself. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, your happiness cannot be dependent on anybody or anything outside of yourself. Remember when we were doing the Qigong and I was talking about developing that island in ourself, that island of peace and tranquility imperturbability, unshakableness, so that I can get solid and clear, and no matter what's going on around me, I try my best to see it for what it is. It's not, it doesn't have to pull me off my center. So uh, the way that we get there is every single button that gets pushed, every single mental formation that gets brought up, we try to be aware of, and we try to take really good care of it. We don't want to get, like I said, we're not trying to get rid of anything. We're trying to take really good care of everything. We're trying to take really good care of ourselves. We're trying to take really good care of our feelings. Um, when we're angry, it's not, oh no, I'm sorry. You've mistaken me for a human being that gets angry. Uh-uh. It's, I'm really angry. And so when I know I'm really angry, that's a time when I can't say or do anything with anybody else because I'm just going to create more suffering. I'm not going to be mindful. I'm not going to be using mindful speech. So I need to come back to myself and look deeply to understand so that I can have a reasonable conversation with this person, whoever I'm having the difficulty with, and perhaps have something um, uh, come from it so there's conflict resolution rather than letting off steam and just yelling and screaming at somebody and making everything worse. So, um, all of these articles that I'm getting describe all the benefits of mindfulness. And they talk about um, the benefits are that you can develop your concentration. It helps children in school. They get better test scores. Um, you should use it in corporations because if you have happy workers, they'll be much more productive. And therefore, you'll make more money. And um, there's all kinds of benefits to mindfulness. That's not what the Buddha was talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's not really, wasn't the, the goal. He was talking about no attainment. He was talking about uh, coming to a place of peace and solidity in ourselves and transforming all that suffering. If we can transform our own suffering, we don't create more. We don't pass it on to everybody else in our life. What we, to 
Thich Han says, what we don't transform, we transmit. So our job is to transform it so we don't transmit it. And when we're doing that, we're already peacemakers. We're creating peace in ourselves and helping. We're hopefully uh, getting ourselves into a better position where we can be of some help to people who are suffering. It helps us to, um, somebody's really being nasty. Uh, I spent most of my life criticizing and judging people that were nasty and trying to figure it out. Like I said, that was my addiction. Uh, trying to make up a story. Had nothing to do with reality, but it didn't stop me. Um, I thought, well, I'll just make up this story about them and uh, I'll explain it all. I'll make sense of everything to myself. And um, with practice, what we can do is just cut through all of that. Somebody's nasty, they're suffering. Happy people aren't nasty. And if I can see they're unhappy, if I can see the suffering, and I'm not, all I want to do is help. Instead of wanting to blame or punish a nasty person, you want to find out what is there that I might be able to do to love them. If I can understand and love this person, they won't be as unhappy as they are. But that's exactly opposite of what our reaction is. You're nasty to me, I want you to suffer. You make me suffer, I want you to suffer. And then we create wars in our families, in our jobs, in the world. So when we can cut through, there's a, a bodhisattva in Buddhism called Manjushri who has the sword that cuts through illusion. And uh, that's the sword of Manjushri that's able to not get caught in the surface of things. Be able to cut through the surface and see what really is going on. To see the suffering in this person rather than uh, allow that person to push my button, have me react, be angry and miserable and upset. And the only other thing I want to say about the places that we get caught and uh, the importance of going beyond simply calming ourselves down, that's the first step. But we really want the transformation and healing that's possible rather than simply putting a lid on uh, difficult emotions. Um, the Buddha talked about the poisons, that there are three poisons. And um, they're uh, greed, and uh, aversion, and uh, delusion, or ignorance. And I was talking to somebody else. I mean, I have such good teachers all around me. It's just amazing. They, they're on the other end of the phone. They're at the grocery store, everywhere. But um, I had somebody uh, who was caught in a situation... And uh, she said, well, really, you know, the basic problem with humanity is greed. That's what's causing all these problems. And I thought, well, we can look at that and say that's the cause of a whole lot of problems. But if I look at greed, what's that about? If I really look deeply at greed, what's underlying it? Fear. Fear. Definitely fear, um, I'm not going to have enough. Uh, I've got to have it all for me, all for me, all for me. But the real thing, if we keep going with that sword of Manjushri, what we get to is ignorance. It's the lack of awareness or the illusion that I'm separate from you. That's really the heart of it. 
when we don't see the interconnection of everybody and everything, that's where we can, that's where greed can develop. That's where the fear develops. If I can really see that um, we're all connected. Like I said, somebody, I can look at somebody who's miserable and say, oh, well, it doesn't bother me that that's their problem. But in fact, it becomes everybody's problem. If Osama bin Laden had been loved and a happy person, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems that we have. Loved and happy people don't do the things that we do. It just doesn't happen. And how does that, how does that evolve? With the, the basic misperception. This is what the Buddha taught. Where there's perception, there's deception. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, if you look at any suffering, you'll find there's a misperception, a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding behind all of that is that we just were uh, ignorant of our interbeing, our interconnection. That when I understand that you are me, I want you to be happy. <laughs> I don't want you to suffer. Um, it really makes uh, uh, all the sense in the world. If I realized that, uh, I mean, all we have to do is stop and look deeply to understand. And you can see the uh, folly in that thinking. Um, how many rich and famous people, how many rock stars, actors, actresses, the people who would be the epitome of success in our culture, kill themselves? Lots of them. You know, if that's what happiness is, it doesn't work. You know, all we need to do is sit down. Like I said, there are teachers everywhere. And uh, it's perfectly clear that that's not the secret to happiness. And there we are. There are human beings, individuals that have more wealth than countries. They have more personal wealth than entire countries on the planet have. And it's still not enough. So that's not, the, that's not the ticket. That's not the secret to happiness. You know? And what is the, the misperception is, it's all for me. It's all about I, me, and mine. When I'm caught there, I'm in a hell room. Every one of the wisdom traditions teaches us that when we get to the point of really experiencing the oneness of everything, that is true bliss. But we're too afraid. It's like playing tug of war. Who's going to be the first one to let go? Oh no, I don't want to be the one to let go. Oh no, I don't want to be the one to let go. So we get caught in this gerbil wheel of suffering. And it's kind of interesting that I use the example of a gerbil wheel because in Buddhism it's the wheel of samsara. It's, it's illustrated as a wheel of suffering, a wheel of birth and death, a repetition of suffering. And I look at that wheel as um, uh, being the wheel in my own life. I don't have to uh, die and get born again. It's like the same suffering, that the same habits create the same outcomes. I keep doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome, and keep bumping into the same suffering over and over and over and over. The only thing that gets us off the wheel, and this is what Thich Nhat Hanh says, that the way to free will, the key to having free will, 
rather than just be a victim of karma, is concentration and mindfulness. When I can develop my mindfulness, see that this is simply a habit. See the habit for what it is and choose to respond differently. Already, I've developed free will. Otherwise, I just keep reacting out of habit and creating more and more of the same suffering for myself. Capish? Does this make sense? Well, I hope that I've given you something you can put to good use. Um, I just, uh, when I get these phone calls, and uh, it's always so clear in other people. I don't know if you've had that experience or not, but you can see other people suffering as clear as day. It's our own that's a little bit tricky to uh, see ourselves when we're caught. But uh, I just offered that to you as examples and um, uh, in hopes that it will motivate us all to deepen our practice a little bit so we don't have to get stuck in that, um, that uh, cycle of repetition and suffering. Um, you know, we can say, well, bad things happen. And uh, there's a hurricane comes, what are you going to do? There's, you're going to suffer. We don't have to add second and third arrows to the suffering by what we do with it, with our minds. We don't have to make it worse. We can say, that's enough suffering. I don't have to create a story about it. I just need to respond to what is. So, as um, the late, great Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche once said, good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs>